Welcome to the Northbound Wealth Podcast. All opinions expressed by me, my co-hosts, or my guests are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Northbound Wealth Management, LLC. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment, tax, or legal advice, or as a solicitation to offer or buy any securities. Clients of Northbound Wealth Management LLC may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Hey everybody, this is Brent Foster, CEO and founder of Northbound Wealth Management. This is your Northbound Wealth Podcast, Weekly Market Insights. I'm excited to get going here. All right, so here we go. Um, Let's review last week. Markets are cautious after banking woes, awaiting Fed reaction. Amid the reverberations of two U.S. banks being taken over by regulators and the spread of uncertainty to European banks, stocks trended higher last week on the strength of the technology sector. I do wanted to make mention that uh, I think yesterday UBS announced that they were buying Credit Suisse. Um, Technically, that's a bailout of $3.2 billion, I think. But Man, did it leave billions of peop- uh, dollars actually uh, unaccounted for, meaning literally having to be written down to zero. So a lot of people lost money in that deal. Uh, UBS is probably picking off the good assets that are there of Credit Suisse. And who the heck knows what's going to happen, but at least Credit Suisse got absorbed by somebody. Um, and okay, the let's get back to it. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was flat negative 0.15% while the S&P 500 rose 1.43% last week. The NASDAQ uh, composite index picked up 4.41%. The MSCI EFIN index, which tracks developed overseas stock markets, dropped 3.12%. What does that mean for the Dow? The Dow closed last week at 31,861 and change. Year-to-date, that's down 3.88%. The NASDAQ closed at 11,630. That's up 11.12%. That's a top performer of the major indices. MSCI EF index closed at 1,988. Year-to-date, that's up 2.27%. S&P 500 closed at 3,916. And that's year-to-date up 2.01%. Ten-year treasury note closed at 3.38% year-to-date. That's uh, down 0.49%. Gosh, volatility has really picked up. So stock prices gyrated as investors wrestled with banking troubles that appeared to spread to Europe. Worries of financial instability rocked financials and set bond yields falling. While the rush into treasuries was expected, and I've talked about that a lot on the podcast and what we're looking at doing, uh, the bond market's back. I mean, Treasury yields, three months, six months, nine months, one year, they're all still, even now, paying 46 to 4.8% uh, and likely to rise to above 5% again here. Um, let's see, the dash into technology stocks was a surprise. It was. Falling yields made the high growth names more attractive though investors targeted their buying in high-quality companies that offer defensive characteristics such as profits, healthy cash flows, and strong balance sheets. When Switzerland's central bank provided a lifeline to a troubled Swiss bank and a group of U.S. banks provided aid to a struggling regional bank, Silicon Valley Bank, stocks powered higher on Thursday. Banking jitters, however, returned on Friday, closing out a tumultuous week 
and pairing some of the week's gains. So re we've got some reverse psychology here. Less than two weeks ago, Fed Chair Jerome Powell testified interest rates might have to be hiked higher and faster. Since then, two U.S. banks were placed in receivership, sparking worries of financial instability and changing the market's outlook on future rate hikes. The question now is if the Fed will hike short-term rates at all. By Thursday, traders saw an 18.1% probability of no rate increase in the March Fed meeting, which concludes this Wednesday, just a week ago, it was a 0% chance. Traders also see a 0% chance of a 50 basis point rate increase in March. A week earlier, there was a 68.3% probability where the market previously saw little likelihood of a rate cut this year. The probability of a rate cut by July was 63.7% by Thursday. Amazing. And the majority, the consensus that I hear in my space is people thinking the Fed's going to raise by 25 basis points tomorrow, um, which is Wednesday. May or may not happen. We don't know. We'll see. Uh, but we'll be tracking it for you here at Northbound Wealth. Uh, this week, key economic data, Tuesday, today, existing home sales, Wednesday, FOMC announcement, Thursday, jobless claims, new home sales, Friday, durable goods orders, purchasing managers index or PMI composite flash index, uh, notable companies reporting earnings, Tuesday is Nike, Thursday, General Mills, and Darden Restaurants, and that's pretty much it. It's a light week there. Uh, today is March 21st. Uh, as of this recording, the uh, stock market closed today. Uh, S&P 500 was up 1%. Regional banks are recovering. Um, today I did buy some Schwab stock uh, and I'm really excited about that trade. I think there's a potential upside there, probably at least 22%. So I'm excited about that trade. But uh, we can talk about technical market indicators. So on the on a daily chart that I've mentioned before, New York Stock Exchange, I, I pull up a chart of the New York Stock Exchange um, McKellen summation index ratio adjusted. I really like the full stochastics and uh, with an overlay of the S&P 500 as well, which is uh, the uh, ticker S, P and X uh, with the dollar sign and then the New York Stock Exchange. And what I'm looking at with some of these indicators is that um, we've got some oversold conditions and this rally probably today uh, looks like in the down the S&P and the NAS are just uh, a relief rally, uh, in my opinion, of what's what's been uh, broader selling over the past several weeks. And uh, we're still in a bit of a downtrend trying to find a bottom and uh, retesting of that 3,800 confluence level which we did and we're kind of rallying off that. It'll be interesting to see how high we go up in the S&P 500 from uh, that 3,800 low. Um, right now, I think today closed at 4,000. So we're up a couple hundred points from that testing of the low and um, we'll see what happens, guys. Uh, sometimes it's it, it gets it's there's an incentive to chase and other times there isn't. Um, and I feel like this is one of those times probably to be patient. Tomorrow is a big Fed meeting. Jay Powell's supposed to raise rates. Uh, who knows what he's going to do? Uh, it's anybody's guess. And I've heard just a plethora of pundits opining 
about what the what the Fed is going to do, and literally nobody really knows at this point. Um, it looks like I've got uh, some other indicators here, which I'll I'll kind of go over. What I like to talk about on my show is the SPX or the S&P 500. And what I do simply for just to follow a trend is look at the 50-day moving average and the 200-day moving average on a, a daily chart and a weekly chart. And I zoom out to a monthly just so that I have an gauge as to how things are trading. Well, we tested in March basically 3,800 on the S&P. We rallied off of that low. And now we're we're... Uh, above the 200-day moving average at 3,935, and but yet below the uh, 4,000 level or the 4,100 level, which is the 50-day moving average. So there's going to be a test of the 50-day moving average, and we'll see what happens with that. Um, the fact that we're above the 200-day is a good sign, uh, but you know, it's not over yet. This downtrend may not be over and we'll see really how this plays out. Let me look at the weekly chart of the, the same thing I'm looking at here on my screen. And I'm going to expand my years out to say three years just to take a little better look at this. Um, interesting. So um, if I go out on the weekly, we're right at that same spot. We've bounced off the 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 200 day there, and then we're below the 50 day. So, um, you know, I don't think the bear market's over. I think the bear market is, you know, there are some people that believe that the, there's a new bull market going on. And, and there are others that believe that the bear market is likely to uh, continue. And, and so I'll point to a couple of things. One of them is that commodity prices are weakening. Um, which isn't good. We're, we're seeing a bit of a near-term, short-term rally uh, coming off of extreme oversold conditions. So what that means, in my opinion, is that we'll probably get a nice rally. People will chase and get sucked into it, and then we'll have a nice little sell-off that surprises people. Um, we have some serious economic headwinds coming up, and I think that's going to provide overhead resistance to the market and it'll kind of keep the market in a trading range. So there'll be some, some volatility or higher volatility and sideways chop going on. Um, like, let's see, the debt ceiling. Um, that's a big deal that's happening in June. The bond market raising of interest rates, lagging effects of the Fed raising so much over the past 12 months. And... Um, you know, some of those things are showing up as cracks in the in the in the banking sector. We're realizing that some of these banks got over their skis and were literally mismanaged three bank failures in the last two weeks. Um, one of them being a crypto bank. You're seeing banks struggle with rising rates and basically their margins getting squeezed because uh, people literally are get buying treasuries and that pulls money out of other products that those banks have and where they get paid. So, um, you're hearing, if you follow the financial news or media, you're hearing quite a bit about that. And commodity prices weakening um, isn't a good sign. It just is a signal too that there's some more headwinds to come. So um, just stay patient, stay diversified. You know, generally speaking, there are times to play defense and, and for your to get advice on your unique strategy or your specific investment strategy, you need to talk to an advisor. There's a few comments about trend. 
uh, in the near term, tough to predict. Uh, we might get a bit of a rally here. Things might seem to be getting better, but unless we, I just don't see the catalyst for going higher because earnings are still going to have to come out. And with the Fed raising rates, it's going to slow things down. Um, although there are positive signs out there with the economy getting better uh, in certain areas when you track the data. Um, and I'll touch on that here starting right now. Hey, everybody, this is Brent Foster, Northbound Wealth Management podcast host. And it is Tuesday, March 21st, March Madness. There's a lot going on, a lot of madness going on out there in the market and the banking world. Holy cow. You can't make this stuff up. Those of you who run and operate banks, guys, get your stuff together. Start managing money correctly. The Fed has raised interest rates. They telegraphed it forever. Get it together. Jeez, oh, Pete. Okay, so um, enough of that. Charles Robleau, CFA, which stands for Chartered Financial Analyst. He's the editor of the American Association of Individual Investors, which I read on a consistent and periodic basis. Um, I'm selecting something that he wrote up at the very front end of the this uh, edition of March 2023 uh, about alternative investments. And I will say um, there, there's this word out there called democratizing alternative investments. Um, that word I don't like. I, there's a stigma to it about um, the have and the have nots. And also um, who's really benefiting from uh, illiquid uh, alternative investments that um, that you can't get out of, let's say. <clears throat> Who really benefits? Is it the investors or the sponsors? Good question. Um, ponder that for a moment. Um, I won't go on except for to dive into some of what I read which I feel uh, my client base and and people that listen to this podcast ought to listen to. And then um, I'll go from alternative investments and, and an alternative actually is a non-correlated asset class to say traditional investments like stocks and bonds. So private equity, venture capital, real estate, infrastructure, um, investments like that that are in the private markets, which is called the primary market. The secondary market is where the stock market's at, the bond market, the, the stuff that you see in your accounts where you maybe have a financial advisor trading for you, a portfolio manager actually trading for you, or you are actually doing it. Uh, another, another platform for that is like, say your money's at Fidelity or Merrill Lynch or Schwab and, and or you know like TD Ameritrade and you're trading in it, that's trading in the secondary market, for example. Um, and then not to be confused with secondary offerings, which could be in the private markets, but they're called secondaries. Well, let's just uh, confuse everybody more. Here we go. So alternative assets aren't so easy to get out of. Charles goes on. You may have seen or heard the ads a present day Cal Penn telling his older self that he wasn't concerned about future stock market volatility because he diversified into other assets. A lady stopping her workout to check out a building she's presumably interested in investing in. A narrator explaining the big returns ultra-wealthy investors have reaped by investing in the art market. 
I saw and heard enough of these ads that I thought to myself, if I have questions about these companies, then there are likely AAII members who also have questions too. So rather than update our traditional broker guide, I asked our research staff to assist me in writing about these alternative investment platforms for this issue. When I started gathering initial data for the article, which starts on page seven, I found platforms I never even knew existed. Some are available to all individual investors. Others limit themselves to accredited investors or ones who must meet monetary and financial knowledge requirements. We settled on what we believe are the five leading platforms with offerings available to non-accredited investors. Fundrise, Masterworks, Prosper, Public, and Yield Street. Collectively, they offer investors exposure to private real estate, artwork, peer-to-peer -peer lending, collectibles, and memorabilia. Notice the word exposure that I just said. In most cases, you are buying into a legal entity that owns the underlying asset. In the case of Prosper, you join a pool of other lenders in funding a short-term personal loan. There is no public market for these investments. They are easy to enter, but not so easy to exit. Depending on the investment, you could end up feeling like you walked into Hotel California. While the restrictions aren't so strict that, quote, you can never leave, end quote, as Don Henley sang in the famous Eagle song, you won't be able to exit your investments quickly if you change your mind. Some platforms have preset, quote, liquidity events, end quote, that occur over a period of time. And some have internal platforms where you can trade your shares that you own, in quotes, with others on the same platform. In many cases, you have to wait until the underlying asset is sold. Even when there is a mechanism for selling shares to others on the same platform, there are no guarantees that you'll ever find a buyer. The biggest question you should ask yourself about these platforms is, do I need alternative investments? Many investors struggle just to maintain the right mix of stocks, bonds, and cash over the long term. Just as you shouldn't run before you walk, make sure you get to the basics of investing, get those down before adding complexity to your portfolio. Speaking of being pitched services, I seem to have reached an age when I'm getting invitations to attend, quote, free steak dinners. Oops, I mean, retirement planning seminars. These are put on by advisors or other financial professionals who are seeking to pitch their services and products. Often these dinners are pitches for annuities. Hmm. Rising interest rates have increased the payouts for immediate annuities. At the same time, last year's downward volatility in the financial markets has given salespeople a chance to pitch the safety of annuities. Annuities can work well when bought and used correctly. The keywords being bought and used correctly. Interested investors should always be in the position of buying an annuity instead of being sold one. Since these contracts can be complex and some who pitch them don't understand the complexities themselves, I asked Stan Hithcock, otherwise known as Stan the Annuity Man, to explain which annuities make sense in a higher interest rate environment. His article starts on page 11, which, by the way, I'm going to jump to after this bit. So one sales pitch you might hear regarding annuities if you attend these free steak dinners is about taming the uh, stock market's volatility. Sequence risk is a real risk to those who are reliant on their portfolios for withdrawals. 
I saw this play out as I was updating my annual rebalancing analysis for the month, this month's issue. Consider the case for someone who began taking withdrawals in 1988. They encountered a bear market that ran from 2000 to early 2003. Then there was the 07 to 09 financial crisis followed by the Greek financial crisis. Uh, and a few years later, and then, uh, and then the current ongoing, at least as of this press time, March of 2023, a bear market. Uh, the combination of down markets and withdrawals is troublesome if there isn't a strategy in place for adjusting your portfolio response. Actions you can take include direct rebalancing, adjusting your withdrawals, and or uh, tapping defensive assets. See page 29 for more. Wishing you prosperity and good health. Charles Rothblue. So Charles, great article, my man. Excellent. I love it. And then let's see here. Let's dive over. Let's let's just jump over to page 11, shall we? And it was referenced in that piece. Um, the truth about annuities and inflation. And this is written by Stan Haithcock, uh, is known as Stan the Annuity Man, and is the he's got a business based out of Vegas uh, and licensed in a bunch of states. But anyway, uh, just so you guys know, Northbound Wealth Management has a relationship as a member of DPL Financial Partners, which offer annuities. Um, no commissions, no sales pitches, no loads. Um, we're a registered investment advisory firm, and um, we're going to look at things objectively. We don't earn commissions on anything. And we're going to, you know, if, if we're working with you on annuities at all, we're going to be shopping everything out. We're going to be analyzing them, making sure that it absolutely 100% fits with what your situation is. And uh, it's, it, it, this the reason why I'm going to go into this next piece is because uh, it's exactly how we feel about it or how I feel about it, annuities, and they're not all bad, but there needs to be an, a lot of care taken before making those recommendations of annuities. But here we go. So while there is no annuity strategy that perfectly solves for inflation, specific types of annuities can lessen its sting. Uh, those of you expecting fancy charts, uh, back-tested numbers, future projections, and an equity-like mathematical analysis with this article will be disappointed. To my mind, those are all a colossal waste of time when it comes to annuity strategies. Annuities, regardless of type, are contractual guarantees between you and the life insurance company that issues the policy. Exactly. Exactly. I'm so glad he starts out by saying that. Buying an annuity is like buying a plane ticket. You have to shop all the carriers for the highest contractual guarantee for your specific situation and contractual goals. So can annuities actually solve for inflation? There are many types of annuities, and I always laugh when people talk about annuities as if one product type exists. When you hear people say that they, quote, hate all annuities, end quote, it's like saying that you hate all restaurants all shoes, or all trucks. Since inflation reared its ugly head again during the past two years, many people want to know if specific annuity types can actually solve or combat inflation. Many agents and advisors might tell you that they have uh, have an annuity that perfectly addresses inflation. They do not. I always tell people there are no perfect answers with annuities, just bad sales pitches. And ain't that the truth? Gosh, there's a ton of them. This statement holds true when it comes to inflation in the annuity category. Specific types can combat inflation, but 
None can perfectly solve for it. So what is an annuity? Annuity is a contract purchased from a life insurance company that provides for a set stream of payments or income for a set length of time, usually until the death of the annuity holder. Annuity hold, annuities are primarily used as a means of securing a steady cash flow during retirement. Amen to that definition. So every single person who has a social security number already owns the best inflation annuity on the planet. Did you hear that? I love what he said there. Every single person who has a social security number already owns the best inflation annuity on the planet. What is that? It's called social security. Social security. Yes, that is an income annuity issued by the U.S. government. And the increases to the income stream come from our friends in Congress who want to make sure social security recipients continue to vote for them. <laughs> if you are a true annuity hater and don't want to be labeled as a hypocrite, then contact your local social security office and decline the payments. The same thing applies to those of you who are fortunate enough to receive a pension. That is a lifetime annuity structure as well. It's important to point out that the annuity category is the only financial strategy that can contractually guarantee an income stream for as long as you are breathing. Somehow, the annuity industry hasn't driven that fact home with consumers, and this marketing blunder will be studied for decades by business schools for, a for, for some sort of logical reason why. So let's take a look at specific annuity types and how they actually can contractually work to address and combat inflation. Spoil alert, life insurance companies that issue annuities have the big buildings for a reason. They don't give anything away. With that truth established, let's dig into the brutal annuity facts that you need to know. Well, I'm not going to do that here on my podcast. It would take too long. It'd take days. Uh, annuities are complicated. And if you have questions about annuities or have been recently pitched one at a steak dinner, which by the way, go to the steak dinner. Those are nice. Just don't buy anything other than, well, you don't even buy the steak dinner that's given to you. Just leave. Don't buy anything. You know, maybe you give them your phone number and your email, but seriously, reach out to Northbound Wealth Management. We'd be happy to sit down with you and see if an annuity is a fit for you. Um, but it's really got to be a fit if, if it's something that uh, is, is especially for like a death benefit or maybe, uh, you know, income in retirement and stuff like that. I mean, it's got to really fit and make sense and not cost an arm and a leg uh, in some sort of commission, either on the front end or the back end or whatever. Uh, these things need to be analyzed by a professional to really make sure that you're getting the right the right strategy put in place if it makes sense for you. So you can reach us at 317-399-1107. 317-399-1107. If you have questions about that, we'd be happy to answer them for you. I hope you guys have a great week and we'll talk to you soon.